Well, good morning, everyone. Anita, do you remember if you asked people to sign the black friendship pads this morning? You did do that. Okay, very good. I must have missed that. And I'm just thinking that that means there's no complaints, right? When someone comes up here and they can't say, hey, you weren't listening, uh, because I wasn't listening. And, uh, you know, thank you for grace, right? Uh, we are talking about how God's story shapes your story, shapes our story. And one of the most important parts of your story is your work. We're going to talk about um, work today. Um, Because, think about it, you spend a a better part of a third of your time with some kind of work. Either your career work, maybe um, a job that's getting you to the next thing kind of work, and maybe being a student Um, and you're studying to prepare you for work someday, maybe your volunteerism, maybe you're not getting paid for your work, but you are giving of yourself, you're volunteering, maybe you're retired and volunteering, Uh, maybe you're working in the household, managing the household, Um, i got some homeschool families, maybe you're homeschooling your kids and working that way. Everyone has work, and it occupies a lot of our time. Unfortunately, work can seem like a drudgery for, for many people. It can seem like um, a curse even. After all, we don't say, thank God it's Monday. We say, thank God it's Friday. T-G-I-F. Now comes the weekend. Uh, Gallup polls indicate that 7 out of 10 people are unhappy in their offices. Uh, 10 out of 10 students are unhappy at school. Um, well, maybe not 10 out of 10, but no, no, pull these guys over here. Um, and you might think, well, maybe it's because 7 out of 10 people are working under people. They're being bossed around, told what to do. Well, uh, one of the recent studies I read said that those people at the top who aren't being bossed around by anyone, CEOs of companies, Five out of ten, one half of CEOs, if they could get out of their situation, if they could find something else to do, they say, we would do that. We would do that. Um, so work can seem like drudgery or even a curse. The Bible, however, when we look at the Bible, it presents work as a gift. Work as a gift. So we're going to talk about three ways so that you can see your work as a gift. I'm hoping that tomorrow morning... When you get up, whether you are staying at home, taking, uh, just getting things done. Oh, I guess it's, a, it's tomorrow a holiday for some people. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I was about to say, if you go into the office tomorrow, well, you may be going to the office or may have a day off. I'm not sure. Uh, so the next day you're going into the office or going to school, I'm hoping you'll see this. This is a gift. This is a gift. It's not drudgery. And we're going to look at Luke chapter, uh, not Luke chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2. We looked at this last week. We're going to look at some different verses from Genesis chapter 2. So open up your Bibles to Genesis 2. If you don't have a Bible, um, I would love to give you one. Come see me after the worship service, and we will give you a Bible. Genesis chapter 2, 
looking at verse 4. Verse 4 says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And by the way, whenever you're reading Genesis, you will see this phrase, this is the account of, um, frequently repeated in Genesis. And that serves as an introduction to a new section. It's kind of like a, a headline. It's a pay attention for something new that is about to be described or told. So it's like a pay attention. Let me give you, get your attention here. Verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. So notice, there is a potential problem that is identified There's no one to work the ground. Now, it's not a problem yet because there hasn't been any rain that God sent down. The crops, there's there's nothing growing. No plants, no, nothing's growing here um, yet as described in Genesis chapter 2, verse 6. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And so now it is a problem. Now there are things growing Now no one is there to work the land. And verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And for those of us who have that kind of cynical view of work, uh, work is a drag, it's drudgery, this is when we say, aha, here it is. This is when God puts the man to work. And we're, we can be accustomed to having this negative view of work. A few weeks, a few weeks ago, we mentioned a, another creation account. It's not from the Bible. It's not something you want to read and believe. Um, just another account in ancient times of how the world was created. It's called the um, Enuma Elish, came from the Mesopotamia area, kind of ground zero for human civilization at the very beginning. And one view that the Enuma Elish presents is work is drudgery. The gods made human beings so that they wouldn't, that, so that the gods wouldn't have to do work. Marduk was seen as kind of the chief god uh, in, in this kind of ancient Mesopotamian uh, religious worldview. And Marduk created the earth, and then Marduk invited other gods to come in and dwell in the world. And the other gods said, uh, no thanks, because you, can, you, can you imagine how much work is going to be required in running this new world that you created, Marduk? We're going to take a pass on this. And so Marduk replies, this is in the Enuma Elish, I will produce a lowly primitive creature, Man shall be his name, and to him shall be charged the work, so that the gods may have rest. So the gods won't have, we won't have to do anything. I will create man and give them the grunt work. And as we've seen these past few weeks, what Genesis does is it corrects these other ancient worldviews. Genesis, among other things, says, no, 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 no. Work is not drudgery. Work is a gift. 
It's not a curse. So three ways you can see your work as a gift. One, your work is a gift to God. It's a gift to God. So I want to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And we'll put this on the screen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, those two highlighted words, uh, to work and take care of it, those, uh, when they are used together, they have in Scripture a very unique meaning. And they refer to the work of priests in the tabernacle or in the temple. If you look, for example, in the book of Numbers, you will see those words used over and over and over again to talk about the priests in the tabernacle and and their work that God gives them to do to support the the operation of the tabernacle, to to maintain the tabernacle and and the worship functions in the tabernacle. They were to keep the temple working properly in the worship of God. Hmm. And they're used here in Genesis chapter 2. What does this mean? Well, last week we said that in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, those chapters are much more about the why of creation, not the how of creation. Why did God create the heavens and earth? Not how did God create the heavens and the earth. Why did God create human beings? Not how did God create human beings. Genesis 1 and 2 talk about the function of things. What is the function of of humanity, of human beings, you and me? Well, there's this parallel that is presented in the Scriptures of, of the priests that are serving in the temple. Why did God create the garden? Last week we said to be a temple of the presence of God. And here God creates this temple of God's presence, and he puts the human beings in the garden and said, now I want you to I want you to serve like priests. I want you to take care of this, this thing that I'm creating that's supposed to be all about my presence, to reveal my presence to the world. So one thing I want to point out is that work, one thing that shows us is work is not a human invention. It's not a human institution. It's not we need to provide for our livelihood, so we better get to work and come up with a way of, you know, sharing resources and making life better for us and earning a paycheck. God gives work. Work was created by God so that human beings could do their part to reign over creation, to to help um, manage and help prosper this this arena, this temple. It's a garden temple, but this temple of God's presence in the world. What did that practically mean for Adam? One of the things is that he likely had to grow the garden. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God said to the human beings, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to increase. And number, I want you to, what does it say? Fill the earth. Don't just stay in this one location. Fill the earth. And subdue it. So what does that mean? That means likely that Adam was supposed to grow the garden. If the human beings were supposed to fill the earth, it makes sense that Adam would have to to grow the garden a little bit, make it expand. It's because it's safe to assume that the whole garden, uh, the whole earth at this time isn't garden-like. So maybe he had to, to irrigate 
some. Maybe you got to prune some. I don't know what you got to do. Plant some new plants or help those little seeds to 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 get uh, cultivated and grow. He had to get his hands dirty. But here's the point. His work was his way of showing the world the glory of God as he helped this garden temple of God's presence grow. His work was his way of showing the world the presence of God. What does this say about work? It says this, your work is sacred. Ultimately, your work is your way of showing the world the presence of God. Your work is sacred because God gave it to you so that you could make it as clear as possible, the reality of God for others. And we'll talk about that um, in a little bit. Two, let's talk about that now. So your work is a gift to God. Your work also is a gift to others. There is an ancient collection of Jewish writings outside of the Old Testament called the Jewish uh, Talmud. It was just kind of a collection of Jewish writings that were important to the, to the Hebrew faith. And in the Talmud, there's this question. Why didn't God create a bread tree if he meant man to live on bread? Isn't that kind of interesting? Uh, if God meant for us to live on bread, you know, bread is kind of an important... We see bread and people eating bread throughout the Scriptures. So why didn't God create a bread tree? Hmm, that's a good question. So Alan Hirsch is a, uh, currently he's a missionary strategist for the church. Here's what he writes about this. He writes, God prefers to offer us a grain and then invites us to buy a field and plant that seed, plant that grain. God prefers that we till the soil, that we work the soil while he sends the rain. Notice that there's this partnership going on here. He prefers, God prefers that we harvest the crop until or while he sends the sunshine. Why? Because God would rather that we become partners with him in creation. So, of course, God could simply supply our every need, grow that bread tree. So all we have to do is pick off a loaf and start eating, but he doesn't do that. Our God invites us into a creative partnership with him. He supplies the earth, the air, the water, the sun, And he supplies our strength. And then he asks us to work with him. See, God has this positive view of work. So here's a quote from from, uh, Dorothy Sayers. Work is the gracious expression of creative energy that God gives to us. Creative energy in the service of others. In order for us to find deep meaning in our work, we have to attach our work to the service of others. Um, And I'll go even further than that. We have to see our work as a part of God's bigger story of providing the world his desires for his people. Your work delivers God's desires for the world. God has these desires for human beings and for his creation. Your work is what delivers that. 
Now, it's kind of easy to see that maybe for professions like, uh, like healing professions, like a doctor or a nurse. So you want to say that God wants healing and, and life and healthy bodies for people. It's kind of easy to make that connection with a profession like that. Or maybe the work of a missionary, God wants people to know about him, and so he calls some people to you know, get the word out there, evangelists and missionaries. But we need to see this for all kinds of work. How do we do that? So ancient philosophers, they recognized something as they thought about human beings. They recognized that throughout different cultures, human beings sought after three fundamental virtues. Truth, beauty, and goodness. Human beings sought after these virtues. What is life about? What's it about? It's about the discovery, the, the knowledge, the understanding of truth and beauty and goodness. Those represent the deep desires of the human heart. Other animals don't pursue those things. You know, my dog pursues food, pursues some scratching. But my dog is not seeking after beauty. I'm sitting out in the backyard on a beautiful day. Oh, this is beautiful. My dog's not sitting out there. Oh, this is beautiful. It's only human beings that search after goodness, truth, and beauty. Why is that? Because God has placed those desires in our heart. Your work delivers those desires. When we experience truth, beauty, goodness, we are connected. We're we're drawn towards God. G.K. Chesterton put it well. Uh, G.K. Chesterton put it well. He said, God is not a symbol of goodness. It doesn't work that way. It's not God that is a symbol of goodness. Goodness is a symbol of God. When we see what is good, we're pointed up to God. Goodness is an attribute of God. And so when we see goodness in the world, it points us to God. When we see something beautiful, what does it do? It points us to God. When we discover the truth, what does that do? It points us up to God. So your work develops truth and beauty and goodness. Every work, we can connect it to truth, beauty, goodness, and helping people to receive those things. You want to see God more in your work? Then connect your work to the discovery or helping others to discover truth, beauty, goodness. God wants people to grow in their understanding of the truth. So what does he do? He calls people to be teachers and educators. He calls people to be writers and book publishers and editors. He calls people to be researchers and scientists who can study the physical world. He calls people to be philosophers, yes, even pastors, to help people to understand the whole of the world. God wants people to experience beauty. So what do we have? We have artists. We have architects. We have landscapers. We have environmental engineers. We have sanitation workers. We have recyclers. We have people that support those that work so that we can see beauty in the world. God wants people to experience goodness. Well, what is goodness tied to? Well, one, it's tied to justice, meaning uh, the right things happening in life. Simply, God wants what is right to happen. And so we often think of that in terms of morality, right? God wants the right moral things to happen. So who do we have? We have people that help that happen. 
goodness and rightness in terms of our moral lives and how we interact with others. We have people that suppress evil, that, that try to um, try to prevent evil. We have lawmakers and attorneys and police workers um, who try to resist the world, resist evil, and put an end to evil. Um, we, but, but, but what, you know, what is right happening? It, um, it goes beyond that too. God wants what is right for our, for our human bodies. We talked about doctors and people in the medical, medical profession. You know, when you're healthy, that is experiencing goodness. So we have people in the medical, medical profession and doctors and nurses and, Technicians and hospital administrators and dietitians. We have farmers so that we can have healthy food to eat. We have truck drivers hauling produce. Now, you could be saying, okay, we get what you're doing, Pastor. You just kind of, you know, take any profession and can you just kind of finagle it into one of these three categories? Is this just kind of mental gymnastics that you're having us do? I don't think so. I think every profession, every occupation, has its important place in some way of helping human beings to experience truth, beauty, goodness that ultimately point us up to God. And Martin Luther was extremely in tune with this. Martin Luther recognized how even the smallest of tasks were partnering with God to bring about truth, beauty, goodness. He said, consider the milkmaid. Even the milkmaid has that important role. You know, the cow is milked. Milk gets to where it needs to go. That milkmaid is providing food and milk that would eventually go into someone's body to help nourish it. Today we might say, consider the the refrigerator repairman and his important or her important role in the world because, man, my refrigerator goes out and I'm an unhappy guy. Praise God for the refrigerator repairman. Or how about engineers helping to define to uh, to design refrigerators in the first place? How about engineers? Thank God for engineers. How many of you went and saw the the Dr. James Tour um, presentation at at Sagemont Church this past Wednesday? Oh my gosh! I mean, he was he's a professor of nanoengineering at Rice University, and one of the things that he is doing is he's helping design these nano cars on the molecular level that you can control through someone's body that can uh, identify cancer cells. And then it has this little spinner um, made of a molecule that can rotate at 3 million times a second and drill into a cancer cell to kill it. Wow. Praise God for nano engineering. You don't have to be a, a, a Dr. Tour, <laughs> however, to be a part of God's work. You can be that refrigerator designing engineer helping us. to Man, if you don't have a, you're going to die. You're going to eat something rancid and get food poisoning and, and suffer without your refrigerator working. So I think you get it. 
Your work is a gift to God. To God, it's a gift to others. And, and the third thing, your work is a gift to yourself. We can make work into something that is a curse for ourselves. We can take work and develop an overcommitment to it, a reliance on it in order for us to feel like we are valid, to give us, we think, worth and reason. Um, the temptation is to make work something that it isn't, and that is a way of validating ourselves. Madonna, I remember hearing this this quote from Madonna about why she keeps singing. Um, and she, this is what she said. Uh, this is what my music is about. Every time I accomplish something great, I feel like a special human being. But after a little while, I feel mediocre and uninteresting again. And I find I have to get past this again and again. My drive in life is from the horrible fear of being mediocre. And I have to prove to myself and to others that I am somebody. And all kinds of people do that with their work. They use it to try to prove that they are a somebody. So real important truth here about your work. Your work is not the proving ground of your worth, but the training ground of your faith. It's not the proving ground of your work, your worth. And how do we prevent it from becoming the proving ground of your worth? You, you remember something about what Christ did, what Christ was doing. You remember the temple that Christ has made you to be. So remember what Jesus said in John chapter 2. He said this kind of cryptic saying about the temple. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And everyone heard Jesus say that and they thought he was talking about the physical temple. They thought he was a lunatic. But he was speaking of himself. See, Jesus came to bring God's presence into the world. He brought God's presence. He was God incarnate into the world. And if you follow Jesus, you have his presence in you. What does that make you? It makes you a temple of the presence of God. So you fight the urge of making your work your validation by remembering Christ was so pleased with me that he came and dwelled inside of me. That's his great love for you, that he came and dwelled inside of you. So you don't have to find your worth in anything other than Christ's presence in you. Can we say that? And so now your work is your opportunity to show Christ's presence to the world. How? We talked about just kind of the service we provide to the world, the truth, good, good, goodness, and beauty, and you know the importance of even the, the refrigerator repair person. Um, but it, I want to help us to see 
this from one other aspect as well. How is your work, your opportunity to show Christ's presence to the world by this? I want you to see your work as your training ground for your faith. See, we often think of a church room, a church classroom as the training ground of your faith. If I want to be trained for my faith, I want to go to a a Bible study. We often see that. Or maybe the sanctuary is a training ground for your faith. And yeah, I, I, I certainly don't discount that. But there is a greater training room for your faith, and it's your work. It's your everyday life. God never intended for there to be this gap between Sunday morning and for the rest of the and, and between Sunday morning and the rest of the week. And and we sometimes see Sunday morning as that, you know, it's God's time, it's the faith time, it's it's a time for my faith to grow, and the rest of the week, well, it's something else. It's my time, it's my work time, it, but it's something else. And the response to that is no, no. Our work is where we walk with God. It's the faith-building time. I want you to notice something about the Garden of Eden. So God put, put humans in the Garden of Eden. Take care of this garden. Help it to grow. And then here's verse 9, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. The Lord made all these trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Verse 10, Adam, Eve, why don't you take care of these trees? But what does God do? A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. So there was several rivers carrying water to the garden. In other words, God didn't tell Adam, okay, I want you to take care of this garden. And good luck with that, by the way. That's not what God said. It's not what God did. God wanted Adam to spread the garden, yet God had already put these rivers to water the garden. He had laid the groundwork for Adam, in other words. And Adam was simply to build on what God was already doing in the garden. God meant for Adam to look where he was already at work and and then join him there. And Jesus knew all about this. Why did Jesus do the things that he did? He healed a man on the Sabbath. He healed plenty of people on the Sabbath. One time he healed a man on the Sabbath and was confronted by the religious authorities on this. And and this is what Jesus said. He said, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. I'm seeing where my father is working, and I just joined him there. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus looked where his Father was at work, and he said, that's okay, I'm going to follow your lead, Father. And I believe that God has already laid the groundwork in what he wants you to already do in your work or in your school, at your home. And maybe it's directly related to the tasks of your work. Maybe it's more indirect. Maybe it has to do with your impact on someone else in the office. Maybe it's a human resource issue. You can bring a little more of God's peace to your workplace. 
But I, I want you to, to think about this. Every day you wake up in the morning, you're ready to go about your work, wherever that is. Ask, God, help me to build on the groundwork that you have already laid here. Show me how I can help show your glory today. So, I want to suggest three prayers to begin your day. Three prayers. God, what would you have me do today? Because I believe that you're already at work. You've already put this river. And I'm going to use, I'm going to build on what you're already doing. So what would you have me do today? Two, who would you have me serve today? Because your work isn't only about your tasks, it's about your people. Who would you have me serve today? And then three, fill me with your spirit to do your work. Pray that and then listen. And then listen for just a few minutes. Maybe this will lead to your normal list of duties for the day. Maybe it will lead you to something different, unique for that day. And God will either put a person in your mind or he will put a person in your path that day that he wants you to show his presence in some way as God fills you with his spirit to be the presence of Christ for that person. You see, this is how your work is your training ground for your faith. You're trusting God with your work, you're listening to him, and you're seeking his help and his power. And when you're walking with God like that, your faith will grow. And you will see your work not as drudgery, not as a, oh, got to do this again. Not as drag, but a gift. See it as a gift. Sometimes you'll see it as an adventure. You'll see your work as part of God's story for this world, bringing truth, beauty, goodness. Let's pray. God, we, we ask that you would open our eyes to what you are doing in the unseen world. We're, we're aware of you here on Sunday mornings, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be aware of where you are at work throughout the rest of the week in our lives, in our work, in our studies, at school, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our volunteerism. Help us to hear your voice in, in leading us to certain tasks certain people that we can serve. Lord, we pray that we would not only see Sunday morning as holy, but all of our life as holy and sacred, where you are present and you're inviting us to see you and to serve you and to serve others and to help grow your presence throughout this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.